Um, my dad's a United Methodist uh, pastor. He's retired, but he still uh, preaches a few places. So I, I grew up in a, a trish, traditional United Methodist church, yeah, some, um, which was uh, a lot of fun. And by fun, I mean really boring. But, uh, but, I, but, but nonetheless, grew up in this uh, traditional United Methodist church. And um, one of the things that United Methodists believe is that uh, we, we baptize infants. Um, we're going to talk about that today and why. Um, but my mom, uh, my mom's never been like a light, like my dad's United Methodist pastor. Okay. But my mom's her own breed of Christianity. One of the things that I, I really am grateful for my mom is that she does not willingly submit to any authority in her life. She is her own person. And, uh, so if you're wondering where I get it from, uh, that's my mom. So she, she wasn't a big fan of infant baptism. I, don't, I haven't had a conversation with her, but all I know is uh, I wasn't baptized as an infant. I was, I, even though I grew up in the Methodist church, I, I think they waited until like I was 11 or something like that. And I, I had to ch- decide for myself to be baptized, so then I, I decided for myself. As much as an 11-year-old can, as opposed to an infant, I mean, there's really not that much different. But in fact, to my point, um, my only memory of my baptism is not of the baptism, but of a photo that I don't even have anymore. I remember looking at a photo of me being baptized. Like, that's all I remember of my baptism, like, that I saw years later. I can remember it was, there was, like, it was Methodist. So we had, like, one of these wooden things. This is a baptismal font. So there's a little bowl in here. You put water in. And I was standing next to it, and I got baptized with a little bit of water, put it on my, put it on my head. That, that's what I remember from my baptism. We're in a series right now called Basic, and we're walking through each Sunday on some really basic theology. And I've been really encouraged by the feedback that individuals have given me in regards to this series. Uh, We've kind of walked through what do we believe about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the nature of humanity. And for some people, this has been very helpful because one of the things that I realized is that there are some really basic assumptions that I operate out of in all of these other sermons that I don't spend time talking about. And we're not all on the same page. I don't know if you knew that. And, and first off, it's okay that we're not on the same page. That, that diversity is good, and diversity of thought is good. And people have specifically told me they like being a part of our church because we don't require everyone to believe the same thing, which is an interesting thing to require. I'm not sure how you check that, um, uh, but people do. They try to require everyone to believe the same thing, and so then you secretly believe something different, and that's just what happens in church. But you hear you don't have to secretly believe something different. You can just believe something different. And we'll, but there are certain things that we officially believe, and so we've spent some time with that. And today we're going to talk about sacraments. Sacraments. So a sacrament in the United Methodist tradition is easily defined as this. And by easily, I don't know if this will be helpful, but this is how we define it. Uh, I think I have a slide for this, Tim. Uh, it's an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual divine grace. So anyone who's going to be going up for ordination or uh, uh, licensing, looking at you, Christy, um, just remember this definition and be sure to work it into your answer, all right? Because they love this answer. But it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Now, in the United Methodist Church, we, we have two sacraments. And the sacraments are baptism and communion. Other traditions have more. Catholic Church has quite a few. Um, I'm not familiar with all of them. I know marriage is actually one of, I think, one of the sacraments. Um, but for us, it's, uh, it is baptism and communion, two things that Jesus himself participated in. Jesus was baptized, all right? 
and Jesus shared communion with his disciples. So these are really important to us. So I've talked over the years, I've spent a lot of time with communion. We've did a whole series on the theology of food in the Old Testament. We've done a lot of talks. I've, I've talked about communion. Every time we do communion, we talk about it. And um, uh, we've talked about baptism not as much, um, but I've realized that I've never actually done a sermon on why we baptize infants. But here's what you got to know. Our community, like many communities, don't all agree on this. And there are families who do not baptize their children in our church, and Throughout the long history of our be pastoring over the last 12 years, um, a lot of questions around why we baptize children. There is a pervasive assumption in the American Christian church that baptism is something you choose for yourself and that you do. And so I've had this conversation dozens of times. I mean, I literally just had this conversation with somebody last week. And, but I've never put it together in a sermon. So today... Um, whether for better or for worse, this might be real boring for all of you. I'm going to share with you some of the conversations that I have with parents when they have questions around why we baptize children. And at the heart of this, you'll understand how some of the other things we already talked about, the way in which God's grace works and the way in which we understand God working in the world and the way in which humans, all of this becomes very, very important. So the first disclaimer I want to give you is this. On our website, we have a commitment to you. Um, and uh, we try to live by this. Uh, there are a number of things, but the last one is what I want to point out today, and you can read these right on our homepage. Uh, you won't be forced to do something you disagree with. So when it comes to baptism or anything else, like I have no, I'm not going to twist anyone's arm. I'm not going to make you baptize your children, blah, 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 right? That's just not a part of who we are. And I say that right now because I actually have a lot of conviction around baptizing children. So I need to start here and say, I'm not going to make you. But I, it might sound like I am because I... I have, like, I have strong, so you have to take my convictions and just offer me some grace, okay? Because we all got our convictions, and this is one. So um, that's what I'm going to say as we kind of unpack this. So I have nothing but respect. So what I want to do is really spend some time and talk through some different ways to view baptism so you can kind of wrestle with you and your family where you're at and how you view baptism. So I'm going to do that from the vantage point of what we, and by we I mean the United Methodist Church, and officially our our congregation, even if not everyone in our congregation agrees. Does that make sense? So the first thing that's really important is um, some churches believe baptism is essential for salvation. So if you are not baptized, specifically baptized in the right church, you are not saved. And others would say that you have to be baptized in the right church there are certain traditions, like if you've not been baptized in our church, then you're not going to heaven. And there's others who would say you can be baptized in other churches, but it has to be done the right way. So none of this sprinkling stuff. you got to get dunked. And if you haven't been dunked, then you're not saved. That's just what some people believe. And once again, we have respect for a diversity of thought. In the United Methodist congregation, in our church, um, baptism is not salvation. So this becomes a very important distinction. Baptism is not salvation. And one of the most obvious responses why I don't think baptism is salvation is the fact that Jesus was baptized. Okay? Jesus did not need to be saved. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, Jesus didn't need to be saved. Jesus, like, I don't think anyone believes Jesus needed to be saved in the traditional Christian worldview. 
but Jesus was baptized. So obviously we have to understand that baptism is something different than salvation. The other big point, of course, is the thief on the cross. So he's hanging on the cross next to Jesus and he says, remember me. That's all he says. And Jesus is like, I will. You're see you in paradise. This guy gets saved, quote unquote, um, uh, did not get baptized. Uh, as far as we know, it's possible maybe something happened up on the cross, I guess. But as far as we know, not baptized. So not a part of salvation. Instead, we view it more as an outward sign of an invisible grace. One of the ways that I like to think of it is a blessing. It's this profound moment that we experience God. One of the things that's essential to sacraments, and this, this goes back to Old Testament theology, is this belief that, first off, we believe that God's grace is available to anyone at any time. Anyone, at any time, in any way, God can... First off, I have no interest in limiting the ability of God to do things, okay? I hope you don't either. But God can do whatever God wants. I'm not God, and I'm not God's boss. So God can show up in any way God wants. And, and, but there are things that God has given us that almost guarantee that we'll experience God's grace. It's like a special outpouring of God's grace. So think of it like this. Um, let's pretend it's raining, and you can go outside and stand in the rain at any point, and you would experience, and God's grace is like rain falling down on us. And anywhere you can, there's nowhere the Bible says that can separate you from God's great love. So anywhere you could go out and experience God's grace. But the sacraments are almost like waterfalls. Sure, you could experience a little drizzle just by standing out in the rain. But the sacraments are things God had given us where God's grace pours out in profound ways. And standing under a drizzle is not the same as standing under a waterfall, even though both cases you're experiencing the outpouring of God's grace. And so we view sacraments as this profound place where God promises to show up um, and meet us in those moments. So it's not salvation. The second thing that it's not um, for us is oftentimes, look at this guy. You know, when Jesus was baptized, a dove appeared, so I'm kind of feeling this bird today. The other thing that we view it is that it's not a public decoration. Now, what I mean by that is a lot of people, one of the views around baptism is that it's a public decoration. So you have chosen to follow Jesus, and the next step is to be baptized to show everyone that you are a follower of Jesus. Okay, here's what I want to say about this. We actually do think public decoration of your faith is important. We should, if you're choosing to follow Jesus, let everyone know. This should not be a secret. And that there's, there's, it's really important for us to stand. And so we do this in other ways, like our membership vows happen up front. And um, even in baptism, we, we recite some of these vows and make promises before people. But baptism itself, in our mind, is not a declaration. It is an outward sign. So a declaration means that I'm going to, here's why it matters. If, if baptism is a declaration, then I have to wait till I'm old enough to make that decision and then declare it before people, which some people usually wait until like 11, which honestly, if that's, if that's your view, I'm like, wait till they're at least like their frontal lobe is sort of developed so they can make an actual decision because they're not getting 11. I don't know what I'm making, but um, if, uh, if, if, if it's a public declaration, then you have to, it, your decision, your involvement in it really matters, right? Whereas if it's a sign, it's something different. Throughout scripture, God would give people signs. It's a part of the way in which God would reassure people that God is with them. 
So you see this in Exodus chapter 3. It's one of, the, one of the classic examples. And the sign that God gave, and there was like a burning bush and a few other signs that God gave. But Gideon, um, uh, there was a sign. And so God gives you these signs to reassure you. So we would say that baptism is a sign, which means it's less about your own personal decision. It's not a public declaration, although public declarations are good. It's not necessarily that. It's more about what God is doing in you. It's about God's grace. When I first uh, started pastoring, I was serving in a church in Defiance, and there was a young person who came and interned with us. She had come out of an evangelical church, and she had been um, baptized uh, older in life. Like She had been baptized when she was a teenager, and she came to me and she said, I want to get baptized again. And uh, because when I was baptized, my, my heart wasn't in it. I wasn't really feeling it. And now I'm really, really serious about my faith, and I want to be baptized again when I'm, like, when I'm really feeling it. And in some traditions, you'd be like, you get baptized as many times as you need. Like, get baptized till it sticks. That's just kind of part of, yeah. So if you weren't feeling it, you get baptized again. Because, because it's a public decoration, and it's something that you're doing um, to show that other people and to show God that you are following God. And, and I'm not, like, that's, that is a legitimate, that's fine. I'm not, uh, that's not what I believe, but that's fine that that's what people believe. It's just another way of interpreting baptism. And so you do it, so, but I, but in our tradition, because it is an experience of God's grace, um, and it's a special moment, um, we don't baptize people second times. Like, I just don't. I'm not, like, I'm not allowed to, um, if that means anything. And so I had this conversation with them, and I, I, I said, you got to think about baptism like you would a wedding ceremony. So let's imagine this situation. Let's say that uh, two people got up front to get married, and they're saying vows to each other. And interestingly enough, baptism vows, whether your parents are saying it for the, an infant or an individual saying it for themselves, they, 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 they're very similar. You say, I do right? In the vow. So it's, imagine a wedding. So you got two people and you've got, you've got, you know, they're getting married and uh, they're making a commitment to one another. Now in baptism, that commitment is almost th- three parts. It's a, it's a congregation making a commitment to an individual. It's an individual making a commitment to God and it's, uh, or a family, and it's God making a commitment to us. Now let's say that you get married and you've gone through and you said the vows and you signed the wedding certificate, you're married. But years later, you went to your spouse and you said, you know, back when we got married, I was not really feeling it. I just, my heart wasn't in it. It is now, and I would like to get married again. That's not going to go over great, right? What you, but at the heart of what you're trying to say in that situation might be, it's not that you want to get married again. It's that you're in a new season, and marriage means something different to you. And your relationship has grown, and you want to recommit your vows. So in our tradition, we don't baptize people multiple times. If you were baptized once, we want to respect the fact that God showed up. You'd be like, my heart wasn't in it, or I was an infant. I don't remember. I'm here to tell you, God showed up, and God remembers, and I, have, I don't want to get, I'm not challenging God's role in this. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, God, I wasn't feeling it. Well, God was feeling it. Do you see what I'm saying? And I have proof that God was feeling it. Whenever someone comes and says, I want to be baptized a second time or a third time or a fourth time, I'm like, here, I know God was feeling it because you, God has clearly been with you. You would not be here wanting to recommit your life to God if God hadn't been working in your life since the last time you were baptized. So I got proof that God's been in it. 
In fact, if you're baptized in an infant, and you're like, oh, I didn't mean, I wasn't, I wasn't aware. I didn't know how it worked. And so I want to recommit. Well, God was working in your life clearly, or you wouldn't want to get baptized as an adult. So I share that with this person. And, and what we are able to do, what we often do is remember our baptism. And so you, you kind of, you're, you're going through the motions of being baptized essentially, but you're also recognizing that God has been with you the whole time and that you're remembering it. Is it behind me again? So I often get questions around baptism, um, and I remember recently someone asked me, because uh, I, was, I was talking about how I was going to preach on this, and this is hardly preaching, I'm, I'm mostly just talking with you all, but um, someone asked me, he's like, well, where in the Bible do we see someone baptizing babies? And that was great, because they were like, gotcha. <laughs> you know, if people ask that question, they're like, I've, tr-, you know, like, Gotcha. And um, uh, I was like, well, actually, very calmly, I was like, you didn't get me. Um, there's a couple of responses. The, the first thought I had, and I don't think I shared this with them, but we see in, in the early church when people are being baptized, you have to remember baptism was something that was kind of introduced in the, when Jesus came along. It wasn't something that Jews practiced in the way that we do. There was a lot of ritual cleansing of hands and stuff, and you can get into the Jewish faith around that. But the act of baptism was really initiated by Jesus and John the Baptist. Yeah, he was really into it. And at that point, no, he, and he was. And, and, and what's really interesting is John Baptist might have grown up in a community called Qumran. It was like a monastic um, very serious group of Jews, and they would have these, uh, they took their uh, cleansing so seriously, it's like, let's not just wash our hands, let's wash our entire bodies um, as part of our religious rites. And so I, I had a chance to visit Qumran. It's an archaeological site, and you can visit it in Israel, where John the Baptist may or may not have spent some time. And they've got these giant baptismal fonts, where you, like, stairs you walk into, you walk through the water, and stairs you come back out. As a, that's, that would be the earliest expression of baptism before Jesus. All right. So um, beautiful, beautiful picture. But in the early church, they start baptizing people. It becomes a very significant moment. And one of the places is in Acts chapter 16. It says this. uh, Essentially, you'll have to read the story for yourself. But this person wants to become a Christian. He happens to be a jailer. Paul was in prison, I believe, etc. But he says, at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds because they had been uh, experienced uh, jail in an ancient time where it was created wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Well, we can't say for sure that his household included infants, but what we get in this picture is we have to remind ourselves that our modern world is so individual. And some of our intense focus on like they have to, the person has to decide for themselves and make a public declaration. It's like this an individual, like this is your personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that in the early church, no one viewed their relationship with Jesus or with God as a personal only relationship. It's always in the context of family, community, village. You belong, it was, we are, this is a product of modernity individualism, and you have to at least recognize the way in which our theology is being shaped by how individualistic we are. So when this individual wants to follow Jesus, and this might not even be the best way, and this is also a reflection of uh, a patriarchal society, when the guy decides to follow Jesus, the whole family gets baptized, right? So there's good and pros and cons to this idea. But the challenge is, is realize that it, it, it was his whole household because you did things as a family, and families still do this. I, uh, I think this is very important. 
Um, I want Finn to do things that are good for Finn before Finn is old enough to realize they're good for him. And the perfect example is vegetables. Now imagine how I said, man, I sure hope he eats vegetables someday. I hope when he's old enough to choose, he'll eat vegetables. And I wait until he's old enough to choose for himself, which is going to be like, what, 30? I mean, if you were given the option? No. As soon as he's old enough, I'm giving him what he needs. So this, this isn't the only way to think about baptism, but this is one of the ways that we think about baptism. It's just good. Uh, it's a good thing to do. But when they ask that question, like, well, where in the Bible did they, is there an example of someone baptizing a baby? The first response I had was this. I said, well, actually, there's countless examples in the Old Testament. And here's why. Paul tells us that baptism is the new circumcision. And circumcision happened when you were eight days old, I believe. And it was an introduction to God's family. It was a way that you became and be a part of it. This bird, I love it. And uh, so baptism was this new circumcision. And here's the good news about baptism, why it's better than circumcision. First off, it's not gender specific. Right? Circumcision was just for men. Second off, if you're an adult who hasn't been baptized, it's way less pain, pain, it's not as painful. No, this is good news. This was a major debate in the early church. Did grown men have to become circumcised in order to become Christians? And they debated it ferociously with each other. It's the main, one of the major themes in the New Testament. And the good news is, is Paul's like, no. And one of the places he says it, he says in verse uh, 11 and 12 of Colossians chapter 2, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. There's no snipping. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. How were you circumcised by Christ? Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And baptism, of course, is this beautiful picture of being buried with Christ and risen with Christ. And because it's tied to circumcision, we say, hey, it's not about salvation. It's not about an individual's choice necessarily. I mean, you have to choose for yourself eventually, but it's about welcoming somebody into the family of God. So people will sometimes say, man, I hope, I hope my children choose to follow Jesus when they're older. And I have a radical view on this, so please, if this doesn't work for you, disregard it. But I am a contrarian, so I'm a contrarian. Just deal with it. And my contrarian attitude is like, I'm not hoping that Jesus will follow. Finn has to eventually choose to follow Jesus on his own. But it's not like he's not following Jesus until that happens. In, in fact, it's the opposite. Finn will have the opportunity to choose to stop following Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm raising him, me and Alyssa are raising him in the community of faith. And he is a follower of Jesus, uh, an important part of our church. He doesn't fully understand what that means. I'm here to tell you, neither do you. And someday he will choose for himself whether that wants to be a part of his life or not. And I will respect that. But that is something for him to decide later in life. And until then, I'm not waiting. Like, he's a part of God's family. And for us, baptism is an introduction to God's family. That's why we baptize infants. That's one of the main reasons. Because wouldn't you agree Finn's a part of God's family? Yeah. So because of the way we view baptism, how God's grace works, that God shows up and works in people's lives without them even necessarily being aware of it, we can see how all of that. So some people will sometimes say that, though, you know, that babies or young people don't understand what it means. And, and, and this applies to both baptism and communion. 
uh, we invite children at whatever age to share in communion. And it's like, well, they don't understand it. Friends, you don't understand it. Okay, there's a great mystery to all of this, and we have to uh, do it. And, and, and that's the thing with my mom. She baptized me, waited till I was old enough to decide for myself, which was 11, and uh, I didn't understand what was going on. In fact, sometimes as a pastor, I still don't understand what's going on. But I trust that God's grace is able to work in a lot of different ways, and meet us in those moments. So here's how I want to I end. Um, if, uh, whenever we offer communion, you should know it's open to anyone. We believe that communion as a sacrament is Jesus' table. So I don't get to decide who gets to sit there. Um, if, you're, if you want to sit at Jesus' table, it's available to you. It's open to all people. God of all, not some. Secondly, with baptism, if you've not been baptized or if you're interested in having a longer conversation around baptizing young people at whatever age or yourself, uh, I would love to do that. We actually have some baptisms lined up in the summer. We're going to be, I just keep thinking of the dove uh, when Jesus was baptized when I see this bird, but um, we have one on uh, July 2nd, which is really exciting, Um, the Whiteheads, and then uh, um, later in uh, July, I believe, as well. So um, we're excited about that. If you're interested in being baptized, one thing that I will say, just as a, a, a order of business, um, in the United Methodist Church, baptism is an introduction to God's family. And so part of becoming a member is being baptized. But we recognize baptism from every tradition. So if you've been baptized in Catholic Church, Baptist Church, Church of Christ, whatever, we recognize that baptism because we believe that God is not limited by God can show up in any moment and meet us in those moments. And God meant what God meant when God showed up. So, but if you've not been baptized in any church and you're interested in uh, becoming a member, uh, we can do, uh, we would love to have a conversation about getting baptized and then uh, becoming a member. So just church business, because next week we vote on a merger. We have been operating as a new church start. We have not had members but when we, and, and so when we vote for the merger, we'll be voting as regular attenders, people who just consider this their church home. But moving forward, in order to serve an elected leadership position or to vote on future decisions, you'll actually have to become a member because we will become a chartered church through the merger. So if you've not been baptized, love to get you baptized. If you've already been baptized in another tradition, we'd love to have you become a member. And when we do the vote, there'll actually be a a separate sheet of paper where you can express interest in becoming a member. So for those who are hoping to apply for the leadership board, you'll you'll need to do that. You'll need to say you want to become a member uh, because only members can serve on the leadership board. If you're not interested in becoming a member, it's fine. Um, You can serve in almost every other area of the church other than, I think, just specifically elected leadership positions. Staff don't have to be members. Um, regular attenders, volunteers, all that. There are other checks and balances. So that is uh, what I wanted to share with you on baptism. I encourage you, um, as, as I started at the beginning, there's a variety of perspectives on all of these uh, elements of the church. And uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you if this is something that you've not heard before. It's not something I've talked about publicly, and it's not something I push uh, super strong, but I do care a lot about it a lot. And I love I was, I was there when Finn was baptized. I, I was able to baptize him. And um, I do love the idea that Finn is a part of God's family and that, God, that Finn is a, a, you know, gonna be a member of this community and that he is a part of not only our family, but your all's faith family as well um, as, a, as being welcomed into that family through the act of God's grace. 
through the sacrament of baptism. So love to talk with you more about that if that's something you'd be interested in. With that, I'm going to pray, and we'll jump to our closing song. God, we give you thanks for the ways in which you work in our lives. We also give you thanks for the ways in which... uh, Diverse people have come up with meaningful ways to connect with you. And the ways in which we all have found diverse ways to engage in the things that you've told us to get engaged in, as you told us to share in communion, and the ways in which people have experienced that and thought about it, and same with baptism. We trust that you will continually work in and through us and help us understand, and that through all of this, God, whatever we believe, whatever we wrestle with, whatever questions we have, that we would remain assured that you love us and that you are with us. So we give you thanks. In your name, amen.